Welcome back for another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. My name is Dallas Post, and I am your host. As you know, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought within personal finance, economics, and investing. You can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. All right, so in today's episode, we're going to be talking about financial counseling, and I have previous experience through my church. I ran into someone who has a lot of experience in that area, and so I brought Sarah Mizell onto the show to share some of that experience with you. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So Sarah, even though we know each other's story, I want you to share with the audience just a little bit about your background in finance and dealing with people on a personal level and especially financial counseling. Absolutely. So I work for a company called Valued Retirements, and what we do is work with our clients to make wise financial decisions. What I've gotten to do before Valued Retirements is volunteer my time through the church. I am part of a team of financial consultants. And what we do is we sit down with individuals or couples, help them identify where they are today, where they want to go, and basically put a plan in place to move them in that direction. That was the experience that I have continued to do. And that led me to Valued Retirements, where I get to do that professionally, help people lay out purposeful plans and then get to walk it out and see how much peace of mind can really be there when you are doing things on purpose when it comes to money. At Valued Retirements, Dallas, I also get to manage assets for our clients, which is an exciting role. And we also have appreciated just getting to be in that role for our clients. It's a high trust thing. Oh, definitely. Once you get to people revealing all their financial secrets to you, they really have to be open and honest especially if there's some shame associated with that. They have to start to unravel all that and let the skeletons out of the closet. Absolutely. It's true. And, you know, whether it's at the counseling center or whether it's here at Valued Retirements, a lot of times we're talking about people who either make different amounts of money or have different amounts of money saved. At Valued Retirements, I like to sum it up to say that we help people who are already doing well do better. And at the consultants, often we'll meet you at a different place in life, maybe where you don't have the level of either savings or just education when it comes to money. And so we're helping people who are not doing well do better. But it's amazing to me how you just see so many of the same principles that apply in either case. Making wise financial decisions, it's not about being good with big numbers. It's really about being excellent with small habits. So I'm excited to talk with you today about some of those small habits, Dallas. That's a soundbite that's going out there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a shame that people feel shame for not having education when it comes to personal finance, for example. If you haven't been taught something, it's not really your fault. So there's no shame in saying, hey, I I need help or I want to learn. That's so true. If you ask me to do some plumbing in your house or you ask me to go (laughs) work on your landscaping or different things, I just don't know how to do those things. I could probably learn. But there are people who have learned how to do them. So that's exactly right. When else in life are you guaranteed to be expected to do something, which is make decisions about money? You're guaranteed to have to do that at some point in your life, but you're not going to get any education on it. Even so, the type of home that you grow up in is really going to shape what you perceive 
what's interesting is there's a lot of research out there that whether you're in an affluent home or in a home where it doesn't have as many resources, you can still fumble around just as much. If you are in the home without resources, that can obviously be a point of contention or stress that you grow up with, but not really understanding why there's stress. It's just there. Or sometimes if there's not a lot of resources, you're taught a little bit more. And sometimes when your parents have quite a bit, they want to shield you from feeling like you have so much and so that you never get the education there. So no matter where you're coming from, there are some really basic principles that if you learn, man, it just blesses your life so much. And that's a big thing I'm trying to harp on with the post money plan is Mm -hmm. because in the education system, it's very standardized. And so what you can expect out of someone in third grade or 10th grade or something is fairly uniform because of curriculum standards and those kind of things. But given that personal finance education is absent from school Mm -hmm. curriculum, what you can expect people to know at different ages or even as adults is such a wide spectrum because... Where people are learning about personal finances is pretty much from their home or from their parents. Some parents may share wise financial principles with their children and others may not know those lessons and aren't able to share them Mm -hmm. with their children. And so you end up with a huge spectrum of what people know about personal finance. And that's where a lot of this problem comes in, I think. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That really shapes who I am as a planner. And you're talking about not really knowing or learning I knew nothing about finances growing up. I'm the oldest of four kids. I have two incredible parents, but they made one pretty big decision that was a poor one. And it was my dad making some money decisions where he trusted someone and didn't fully understand really what they were leading him to do. And in the course of a couple days, he had invested more than was appropriate to invest. And we'll talk about that probably a little bit down the road. And then he borrowed to invest and the market crashed. And so I watched the man that I respect more than anyone on the earth except my husband lay on the floor as I I was a freshman in high school, lay on the floor for days because he went from feeling like he could fund his kid's college, pay off his house, to having to go with my mom to get a loan to pay off what's called a margin call. I just watched that defeat. And so I carried a huge level of fear of money through those four years of high school into college when I was not pursuing a degree in finance. I started out with a different degree. I have a degree in journalism and one in finance. Journalism was what I started with. And my sophomore year, I realized that I was genuinely afraid of money. And so I have a personality. If I'm afraid of something, I feel like I really should learn about it. And so with a little bit of encouragement from really my younger sister, I added finance as a degree. And the whole intention was to be able to open the door to be able to do what we're doing today. This is an incredible blessing to be able to speak into people's lives about making decisions about money. And so I did that finance degree. I also dragged my then boyfriend, now husband, to a thing called Crown Financial. There was a 12-week study about money, best premarital counseling we could have ever done because we sat in a room with people who were... Like Christian financial... Christian financial counseling, so Crown Financial is the organization and they used to teach classes now it's all online crown.org but we sat in a room with people who were decades older than us talking about how they wish they had learned these things early and my husband and I are very different personalities when it comes to money if you're listening and you do not have the same personality as your spouse don't worry we don't either (laughs) but we really got to develop the same heart and so the same heart with different personalities still works really well together. 
And so that's kind of my iteration into gaining a comfort level. I've had incredible people sit down and just teach me some really basic things that I just didn't know. So the last piece of that talking about education is not standardized right now or really even available in a lot of ways when it comes to finances. I told you earlier I have three younger siblings or there's four of us. I developed what I call the money game, which is a really pretty basic training tool. And I made all of my siblings go through it. Can we buy this game at Walmart? (laughs) Not yet. I'd like to. I'm working on that. working on some copyrights and getting it out there. It's just a way of having a conversation. Hopefully that'll be out there soon. And it is something you can reach out to us and talk to us about. That actually reminds me of the game of life. I wonder if that was made on that principle to to show people how things go through life, adding a spouse and kids, and then you're trying to save for retirement. (laughs) It probably was. And I think it's fun. Another point I was going to make when you're talking about how your experience with your father Uh shaped you and how you felt about money I think that's not unique to you. I think with so many people, experiences they have in their childhood or growing up shape how they feel, not just about money, but about Mm -hmm. a lot of things in Mm -hmm. life. But people don't realize how big of an impact their childhood is is having on the way they feel about things like money. And maybe a fear of money has to do with something earlier on in childhood Mm -hmm. or the way their parents were handling money. But I think a big point of that is to not shy away from that and just be willing to self-reflect and also not have shame, especially shame of your past or, or mm-hmm. even financial mistakes that you made and to just move into an ownership of where you are, but then also a humility of mm-hmm. being willing to seek help and counseling. I completely agree. You never know what kind of a positive impact recognizing where you are can have. So many times we sit down with couples, specifically at the counseling center, but sometimes even at valued retirements, and just by laying out where they are, there's a sense of peace. You just see, even if the number is high level of debt or low level of savings, lower than maybe you want to have, just knowing where you are is an empowering thing. Yeah, I think that's so true. If you think, oh, I have so much debt and it's really weighing on Mm -hmm. you, and then you get it into a spreadsheet or something and you, mm-hmm. you see it all in one place. And even if it's a big number, at least there's a number. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, that's finite. Right. <laughs> that's absolutely right. So Dallas, is it okay if I share a couple of the principles that I would just encourage you to think about anybody who's listening? Yeah, please. Awesome. Take it away. We talked a little bit ago about habits being the real issue here. You're not somebody who's really into habits or goal setting. Just stick with me here. This could actually be a little bit of fun. What I really want to communicate to anybody who's desiring to be a little different than you are today in terms of finances. Again, you'll hear me say it a lot. It is not about being good with big numbers. I was a journalism major, remember? That's what I started out as. It's about being excellent with small habits. So the first habit is to know what's really important to you. That is it. Know what is important to you. You're going to have to make trade-offs at some point, but you want to know where the goal is, what you're trying to accomplish. So to me, that means setting goals and being specific with those goals. If you have never heard of setting a SMART goal, it's being specific, measurable, really setting attainable goals that are relevant and time-bound. So if you can sit down and go make it a little bit of fun. 
Dream big. Write down things that are important to you, but then set little steps along the way. That's the first step in making wise financial decisions. Notice I didn't have anything to do with numbers in that first step. It's all about you and what you want your life to really look like. The second one is a little bit more about numbers, but it's directing your dollars instead of letting your dollars direct you. What that looks like is putting a spending plan in place. A spending plan is a financial counseling ease way of saying a budget, but hopefully it feels a little bit more empowering instead of restrictive. A spending plan is you look at what's coming in and you purpose every single dollar to go somewhere. You want that to go to either giving or generosity. You want it to go to savings or you want it to go to one of your living expenses. You might also have debt that needs to be repaid and all of us have a tax bill. So every dollar is going to go to one of those five places, giving, saving, taxes in in a portion, debt repayment, or living expenses. Think about where you want that and direct your dollars instead of just letting them phase into one of those buckets accidentally. The last habit is thinking about a principle called 10-10-80. The idea there is just target percentages. Target 10% of whatever comes in the door to be set aside or purposefully given through generosity. We could do an entire podcast, Dallas, on (laughs) what I'm saying there. I am not saying you have to. That is legalistic. I'm not. I'm saying there's an incredible level of blessing when you are able to give. The way my dad says it is it's more blessed to be able to give than to have to receive. Just a little bit of a twist on, on the biblical verse, but I like how he says that. So the first 10 is generosity. Second 10 is savings. Save for yourself in the future. I like to define savings as something you put aside and don't touch for two months. Usually if it stays there for two months, you kind of forget about it. we got to talk like multi-years. We'll talk (laughs) multi-years later, but if you don't touch it for two months, you often forget it's there or you kind of have moved on. If there's something that you wanted to buy yesterday, if you wait for two months, you want to buy something else tomorrow. You get used to leaving it. I think that's where your phrase of controlling your small habits, Mm -hmm. that really comes in there because if you have the habits under control, then it doesn't really matter what the the number is in your bank account. You just have a lifestyle and it doesn't matter if there's money there or not. You're Uh, not going crazy. That's exactly right. Well said. The last number in that 10, 10, 80 would be all else. That's taxes, that's debt repayment, and that's living expenses. Taxes, pretty set. You have some strategies to minimize those, and that's what we help people do at Valued Retirements, but there's going to be a tax bill eventually. Debt repayment, I recognize that there is value to using debt sometimes. I personally like the goal of not having any debt. And then the last one there is just general living expenses, your food, your clothing, your shelter. That's the one you have the most control over. You can define what you want your life to look like. But caution here The reason a lot of times people fail when it comes to doing these habits is they trade what they want most for what they want now. And I fall into that a lot. So I just want to put that out there. That resonates with you. You might want to think about whether or not that's a trap that sometimes you can fall into that can derail even the best of intentions. Something about human nature that is so hard to see the long term and so easy to see the short term, Uh I guess it's kind of related to that immediately feeling pain or immediately feeling reward. You can translate that in your mind to, oh, okay, if I do this, this happens. If I leave my hand on the stove, it starts to burn and I feel that immediately. 
but it's much harder to get the sense of, okay, I smoked this cigarette, and then 20 years later, mm-hmm. I have heart disease or mm-hmm. something. It's much harder to connect the long-term dots. And then with, so with the money issue, even though you're talking you in both cases, if you're saving today, you feel some pain or withdrawal or however you want to mm-hmm. say it for the you of tomorrow. Right, right. But then you're not thinking of the benefit to the you of 10 years from now mm-hmm. or, or 20 years from now and how much greater that is. And for some reason, that's very hard to connect those dots in the long term. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And when it comes to really changing beliefs and attitude, I don't have any perfect way of doing it. But I have a couple resources that have been helpful for me. There's two books by Thomas Stanley. One is called The Millionaire Next Door. And one is the sequel to that, Stop Acting Rich and Start Living Like a Real Millionaire. Both of those are really good resources. When I read them, it helped me conceptualize what it looks like to be chasing something your whole life and really it's looking like a certain thing with no underlying substance. That challenged me just to check my own life. It helped me basically not want to keep up with the Joneses because I realized what so many times the Joneses actually feel like when they close their doors. That's not everybody. Some people actually have more money than me. That's okay. People look to celebrities and athletes and actors, all these people, and idolize them. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they make so much money, they must be so happy. To find out that so many artists are depressed and on drugs and how many commit suicide, I think a large part of that is being so caught up in money and money as their focus. And then once you have it and realizing that doesn't fulfill everything Mm -hmm. in life, that it leaves them feeling empty. I mean, I can't speak from personal experience, but... (laughs) Yeah, But it seems like a large part of that is the grass is always greener, and especially in the context of money. And then once you have it, realizing it doesn't fulfill. That's exactly right. And that's what Thomas Stanley does a really good job. He defines what you just talked about as the glittering rich. The people who legitimately have a huge amount of money. There's so many people in our society who don't have that, but they try so hard to look like they do. He writes really well describing some of those situations. It's a really good book, The Millionaire Next Door. And then Stop Acting Rich and Start Living Like a Real Millionaire is a research book. It's talking about what habits are of people who really have a net worth of a million dollars or more. And it's really specific. It's awesome. It's down to what kind of cars they drive, where they often shop for food and clothing, what kind of alcohol I like to consume, just as a general survey of people who really do have a net worth of over a million dollars. And it doesn't necessarily look like the Great Gatsby. It doesn't look like <laughs> those big old parties that you would think about, but it's well, a really think, neat thing. I think that's a good example of the unsustainability of keeping up with the Joneses. The whole like Great Gatsby mentality. You find someone that's living a really flashy life And it turns out they're spending money maybe they have or maybe they don't even have, Mm -hmm. but it's at a rate which you just can't do that forever. And then there's going to come a time of famine after that. Absolutely. And a lot of times when you're an observer from the outside, you're not taking that into perspective and thinking Uh they have the Corvette and this crazy house. That means that I should be able to do it too, but you're not considering that they're going to have to pay for that later or won't be able to do that in the future. You just don't know what's behind the curtain. Yeah. So to me, that's why it's so important to look at your situation from your situation mm-hmm. and not from someone else's situation, mm-hmm. not saying because they have a big screen TV mm-hmm. and a nice fancy home, then I should get that too. Absolutely. 
And I think that would solve so many problems if we were able to isolate the way we see ourselves from a financial perspective mm -hmm. and thinking materialistically that I have to match whatever I see next to me. If everyone's living according to their own means and their own needs, mm -hmm. I think that would solve a lot of problems. It would. And what we're saying, please realize that we recognize that these are simple things to say, sometimes hard to put into practice. I think they can become even harder if you don't have them really ingrained in your way of living. And by the way, this is not trying to be miserly. It's just trying to be purposeful. If you don't have these kind of ingrained thought processes in place when you're on your own, it's incredibly hard when you have kids to put them into place for the first time. But even when you do have them, it's hard when kids come and you have to start to make decisions where they're not necessarily getting what the kid down the street gets. You have to really be comfortable with this is the decision that we're making and be confident enough that what you are deciding to have or to do is on purpose to be able to really say no to your kids. Otherwise, man, every trip to Costco is going to be very expensive because they really do put up everything at eye level. Are um, we talking from personal experience We are talking now? from such personal <laughs> experience. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I'm sure I have so much more to learn as they get older. But, <laughs> you know, sometimes you want them to be in this little gymnastics class that they want to do and their friends are all in. But you have to decide maybe that's not what's going to fit in my spending plan because we're choosing for mom to be able to stay home sometimes. Or we're choosing to have the flexibility for one parent to be with that child more. And so they're not going to get to do the fun things that maybe two working parents can pay for but maybe those two working parents aren't present for. Maybe there's a nanny. Not saying one of those is right or wrong. You just have to be confident in what you're choosing to be able to really walk this out I or it just gets messy. A tricky thing that is becoming more and more of a problem as our technology becomes better and better uh -huh. and we're able to do more and more from a technological perspective is that more things become possible. So then, then it becomes more of a question of, should I instead of can I? Oh, absolutely. So, because in the past world, there were just so many things that were unavailable to the regular person. And it's not even a question. Those things were not possible. So no, I cannot get this thing or do that thing. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, especially in America, everything is accessible and, and you can get on Amazon and buy anything. Then it becomes a question of should I, which makes it a lot harder. Mm -hmm. That's where you have to consider the opportunity costs and weigh the balance even if there are good things, you know, like you want your children to be able to participate in all these activities and whatnot, but you have to weigh the balance. Well, does that mean then spending less time with them or uh, not being able to save for their education or mm -hmm. things like that? So everything comes at a cost and there's consideration in, in all these things. That's exactly right. It's those habits. Know what's really important to you. Direct your dollars instead of letting your dollars direct you. And it's 10, 10, 80. Live that way and make it automatic. And when you have that, you can be a little bit more contained. Those are a lot of things that I wanted to be able to share. Hopefully, they've been a blessing. One other resource is Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley is a book that really has shaped my family's thinking about generosity. So just another one to put out there. You are in the driver's seat here. This is a really neat area of life because it's money. It's dollars. They are inanimate objects. They don't have minds of their own. You are actually the one who's completely in control. And so often we just feel like everything is swirling around us and we're out of control. 
this is an area where you do have the power to make some decisions that will really bring some empowerment and peace of mind. And you're not going to hurt your dollar's feelings no, you if aren't. you don't send them. <laughs> no. I don't know if I ever told you this story about how we came into contact. We met through the church's financial counseling ministry, but the way I came to the financial counseling ministry was kind of through a crisis sounds like a bit of an extreme word, but some soul searching that I was doing. I was working at an investment bank at the time and was feeling meaningless in the work that I was doing and wanted to use my skills in terms of finance and investments and numbers and those kind of things for a greater purpose and something that I felt was more fulfilling. And at the time, I had then heard about a financial counseling ministry with the church. That's how I got plugged in and got to meet you. So I, I don't know if I ever told you that. I did not know that. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. And just in case anybody is interested, the church that we're talking about is Houston's First Baptist Church. There's a ministry of financial consultants. So there's a team of us in place right now, and we are available to either members of the church or non-members. About half of the people we meet with there are non-members. If you want to learn a little bit more, or if you want to have a free resource available to you, you can go to houstonsfirst.org, look under Ministries, and you'll find finances available. And the contact information is there to be able to reach out to our team and seek counseling. If you feel like you have your resources kind of in place, you make more, you're saving for retirement, you maybe have some of those principles in place, but you're looking for a team of advisors to help you go to the next step, increase your generosity or increase your savings or help you put a long-term plan in place. That's what my team at Valued Retirements does. That's a professional team. We are fee-only. So there's a cost there. So there's two resources for you. I really encourage you, reach out for advice or counsel. Whichever area fits you best, Houston's First Baptist Financial Consultants are available on houstonsfirst.org. Valued Retirements, you can find us online, www.valuedretirements.com. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. My sure. pleasure. Thank you for having me. And hopefully this was fun to hear us talk with everybody out there. Yeah. All right. Catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. Mm -hmm.